All right, everybody, we are back with another episode of Hyper Growth, the podcast that's dedicated to unpacking what it takes to build a rapidly scalable e-commerce business. Joining me today is Jenny Yoon, founder of Kin Studio. Kin Studio is an amazing jewelry brand based in Southern California, and she's here to tell a little bit about her story in terms of how she started the brand and what she's looking at in the market today. Jenny, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic. Thanks for joining us in, in somewhat sunny Southern California. I think it's a little gloomy today, which is a bummer, but uh, appreciate you jumping on with us. Yeah. So I feel like I'm wearing a, a, like extra color. My nail is actually bright orange, which is something I never do just to offset the, the cloudiness. I love it. Um, keep, but keep I'm it excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so so let's let's start off with just talking a little bit about how you started Kin Studio. I know, you know, we've talked about this previously, but it's a really, it's a great story and I'd love for our listeners to hear it as well. So why don't you tell us how you got started with the business and, and why you went on this journey? Yeah. Um, and I, I'll probably have to take us back a little bit further just because, you know, I don't think it was my intention to start. I, I never had the idea to start a jewelry brand. Um, I knew I wanted to, you know, be part of um, building something. I'm such like an early uh I, I want to join in an earlier team and um, help them build. Um, a while back, probably almost 10 years now, um, I met uh, the founders of a company called Case Defy. And as the first employee to that company, I really just learned any everything and everything that you know requires to build something from scratch. Um, of course, the landscape has changed quite a bit, which we can you know kind of deep it uh, dive into further later but um the landscape was different but you know i think the core concept is the same around storytelling how to build a brand um how to build a brand that's you know profitable um that's something that was ingrained in me from from the beginning um along the way um unfortunately my parents house got uh broken into um and you know the the intention was truly just to replace some of the jewelry that they had um lost um, these were, you know, family heirloom, you know, my, my grandma's, you know, original engagement ring that was supposed to be passed on to me. Um, and of course it was, you know, I think devastating for, for the family, um, you know, considering we were immigrants at the time and we just, you know, financially too, we just were left with, you know, a lot of nothing. Um, so intention was to help replace some of that. I happened to work in downtown LA, which has, you know, one of the biggest uh, jewelry districts, uh, kind of, you know, started knocking on doors to, you know, meet people. And I said, hey, can you make me this? I had some like pictures for, you know, obviously for insurance purposes for my, the heirloom. And, you know, some people were like, you're insane. Like you wanna, you wanna make the original like Cartier, like that's vintage. And I'm like, well, why, why can't you? <laughs> And um, I think, you know, the shopping journey really started there. And I, I quickly realized I either can't afford, you know, the original, like go to a Cartier shop and, you know, shop one of those heritage jewelry. Um, otherwise, you know, you had the, the downtown world who you kind of have to, you know, haggle through a bit. Um, you know, people are asking, like, are you, are you selling? Are you buying? You know, I'll give, give you the best price here. And at that time I was just like, what is the best price? Like why this looks identical from this shop to the other shop? Why does it, um, why is the price so different? So 
Uh, fast forward, um, you know, I got more interested in jewelry, took some metal smithing classes myself, um, and eventually um, kind of became friends and family. And six years fast forward, here we are. <laughs> That's so crazy. Six years too. Wow. It's, it's, it's such an amazing journey, right? I mean, especially with with like you, you when you think about your story in terms of like why you started it like the the emotional component in terms of your why and then leading six years in to see how much the brand has grown it's pretty incredible to just like stop and like think back at that right like and reflect and just <laughs> say wow <laughs> yeah i mean literally packing packing jewelry in my garage um i had no extra space for for I don't know. I, I wanted to almost like get away from like my day to day to just really get creative. Um, and my space at that time happened to be garage. Um, it was just kind of silenced away from everything. And um, yeah, it's it's been quite quite a journey. Yeah. So just for context for our listeners, Jenny, what can you share about the size of your company, whether it's, you know, any numbers or marketing or headcount or anything? What are you comfortable sharing in that sense? Yeah, uh, we are a uh, still a very lean size uh, team of 10. Um, you know, we are still fully 100% bootstrapped um, and it is a direction that intentionally I chose from the beginning um so that i could build intentionally and in my in my own way um would you be comfortable sharing about how much you spend on ads um per month hmm. like roughly just like yeah. five figures six figures yeah um <clears throat> now uh now six figures um again the first even three years i would say uh we really spent nothing i mean i think maybe you're thinking like a thousand dollars per month which is like i mean obviously like in hindsight i i wish i did more um but the whole idea behind the, the intentional growth was genuine in the sense that like, i really wanted to be if you know it you know it um it is through referrals friends and family um yeah so it was very intentional and you know, we figured out a formula again, I'm a very like left and right brain person um, where, you know, in my head, I'm like, I feel this. And then yeah. all of a sudden the number part of me goes, okay, but the number doesn't show me that. Um, so, you know, we, we started to spend, you know, just a, just a bit more um, uh, month over month. Um, I remember last year specifically, it was probably one of our biggest growth, I think specifically for ads, um, where we're like, okay, this is working. Our ROAS is, I think it was, at one point it was like 40X. So we're like, I'm stupid if I'm not spending any money here. Um, and then of course, like we, you know, did the whole one metric that matters. Like we figured out our average order value, shipping revenue, COGS, yeah. um, and then like what number we need to be at in order for us to be healthy. Um, so we figured out that as a formula. Um, and then we said, we have all the right creatives that can support that. So let's start testing. Um, so right now I'm pushing our team to get to rows of even four to five um, from where we were before. So it's a pretty aggressive growth just in the last 12 months. Um, I wish I had done it sooner. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that's actually why I wanted to just unpack the numbers as much as we could here, because, you know, at the end of the day, 
I have so much respect for bootstrap founders. I've, I've, I've been bootstrapped, uh, yeah, bootstrap founder in, in, in many instances. And at the end of the day, it's a different lens, but a lot of bootstrap founders are afraid to put that next dollar in. Right. So oh, 100%. You know, you've been able to scale that spend from a thousand dollars a month to six figures a month now on the backs of a mentality that's derived from performance. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's key. Like it's, it's, how do you make sure that the, the, the dollars you're spending are performant and they're working for you and not not just working in a way where it's like, great, let me just throw a bunch of dollars out, acquire a customer at all costs and assuming that assume that it's going to work on the back end, because unless you have a war chest behind you, um, it may mm-hmm. not. Right. And and there are instances where you have to kind of acquire a customer at all costs based on, a, you know, varying scenario. But I think it's awesome. It's so awesome to hear that that you've been able to to cross that chasm and get to where you're you're at with the brand and and um, just even how you're thinking about that that go forward approach. So I'd love to I'd love to unpack some of the challenges and and really understand you know from your perspective what are um, what have been the major challenges that you faced in building your company to to this to this far uh, this point and also what do you think the biggest challenges that e-com brands are going to face in the next 12 months will be? Mm, good question. I I wish I had, well, I think my answer would have been very different um, had we not had this COVID um, from a macro level, right? Uh, we're, we've had COVID, we've had, I mean, we're in the middle of a war where there's so many things that's happening from, you know, the the interest rates, the the inflation, all of that. And Honestly, coming out of the gate, if even if you had a forecast and said this is gonna be my this is my plan, I'm pretty certain that went out the door. Like just in the last, uh, I guess, two years, especially. Um, so I think the biggest challenge would probably be that it's it's very hard to forecast. Um, we've actually had the other way around where during COVID, the customers that we were speaking to and um, engaging with are, I mean, these are customers who were normally um, be traveling, they'd be spending extra for the, the luxurious items, um, but they weren't able to do so. It's like, even if you bought, you know, something really nice, they weren't able to go anywhere with it. Um, instead, which is probably also why, like, stock markets did really well during COVID is that people were looking for places where you can invest your money. And with fine jewelry, specifically around diamonds, um, you know, solid gold, these are pieces that will last forever. And traditionally, like the stock market, you know, the, the prices have, have gone up significantly. So uh, we really tailored our message around, I mean, around community, but also that these are investment pieces that you can have forever and that one day you can pass it off to your, you know, your next generation. So with that messaging and of course, like the support of the community, we've like really just blew up during COVID to a point where from an operational standpoint, we didn't know how to handle it, which I know sounds like it's such an, a great problem to have. But of course, I, you know, there came challenges with that. Now, the challenge going forward is like, how do we forecast? Because obviously there was an external factor that played into our yep. playbook from a revenue standpoint. Um, but how do we forecast in the upcoming months, even years, um, especially when you're not, you know, you haven't been around, you know, for 20, 30 years, right? There's only so much um 
uh, information to to go off of. So I, I think that would be the challenge. Um, I think the inflation will forever be uh, a guessing game. So, you know, I think it, we were just talking about this um, not too long ago, but the fact that people are just now thinking about profitability, um, I would say like, obviously do that sooner than later. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, make sure you're looking at the bottom numbers. And, I, you know, recently I did a project um, with like a financial consultants, so to say, um, to do a, a bottoms up uh, financial forecast rather yeah. than uh, yeah. <laughs> top down, yeah. uh, which <laughs> rather than top down. Yep. Uh, which is a challenge on, on its own, because, you know, obviously you need somebody who's, who understands the industry, somebody who's done, you know, D2C, um, especially like in the in the fashion space, who's done done this all. Um, so I would say probably, you know, look into that now um if you haven't already done so yeah it's crazy uh you know it's what you you said is um it reminds me of the mike tyson quote everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face i'm pretty sure mike (laughs) i might have made that i might have made up the who said it but there is a quote that that is that is what it is but it's it's i mean look the past couple years have been the wild wild west right like (sighs) there's been categories where um the normal uh, trend line of demand was essentially front loaded. So now all of the purchasers that you might have this year or next year that would have bought your products this year or next year have already purchased those products in the past couple of mm-hmm. years. And there's like this lack of uh, demand mm-hmm. in, the, in the respective category that now I think a lot of brands are having to make up for on the backs of implementing more aggressive AOV strategies or CRO strategies to convert the current traffic they have coming at a higher rate than what it normally was or what it previously was, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's um it's a different strategy for sure that you need to look at and and it's, you know, it's a bit of a black swan event in terms of what's happening, right? Like nobody has the historical data to say a pandemic and inflation and the advancements <laughs> in AI all coming together, this is what it does, right? So I think all you can yeah. do is really forecast to the best of your ability and then optimize and tweak as you go. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think whenever you're setting goals, it's really helpful to know, well, what's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? And what's like that in between, right? So you kind of know what to expect going in. Um, yeah. Even our, I think, building out our, you know, paid ads, um, you know, setting up, CPAs, ROAs um, for both Meta, Google, Pinterest, and all of that. It's like, we always have the worst case scenario. Um, And our worst case scenario for us is to break even. I I think to us, because profitability is so important, um, breaking even just to get our word out there is, at least from I see it, it's, that's the breaking, breaking even point. Yeah. So what about the the metrics that you're looking at? I know you've mentioned, obviously, ROAS, but, but, Tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you're, how you're managing that aspect around both customer acquisition and retention and, you know, the types of metrics that you're looking at, um, how you're, how you're handling it when you're running multiple platforms. Are you thinking about measurement? Are you thinking about that incrementality? We'd love to just unpack that a little further. Yeah. Um, and I'll be fully transparent on this. We just started thinking you know, acquisition versus retention. Um, there's actually a really good article about how like, like there should be somebody that, uh, you know, owns acquisition 
somebody that owns retention. Um, And for us, it was blended for a long time. And obviously we're a much smaller business. Um, So it's something that I'm just now starting to think, but I think looking back, I mean, there's like the more traditional way of, okay, what is acquisition in our funnel? Um, What is that one called? AARP? It was from a long time ago. AARP is that wait is that the retirement? Uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. AARRR. It's like a framework. So it was like acquisition, activation, retention, activation. Yeah, yeah. referral, That's revenue. Fun. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Um, when you threw the when you threw the P in there when you said A, <laughs> oh yeah yeah, the, yeah. The, I threw the you off. Didn't you I? Threw me. <laughs> We're not an insurance company. Um, so that's that's been ingrained in my head like from the beginning. So it's like in no matter what kind of business you do, this framework exists, right? Um, you're a mattress company. You're, um, I don't know, you sell services. You sell whatever you sell, this exists. And so, you know, the questions that we always ask is like, how do we acquire? What is at the top of the funnel for us? Um, and then you know, coming down into the funnel and then what's a refer, like what's a retention um, channel for us. So identifying, I think everything that you do and trying to spell out, okay, PR lives for us in the acquisition world. Um, you know, things like you do on, on an email campaign, is this a retention play? You know, asking yourself these questions and how that fits into your AARRR, I think is number, <laughs> first and foremost, like super important. Yeah. Um, how do we see it? I think it really just depends on the time of the year. I mean, our, our ours is a very gifting um, and in a way seasonal, right? We have two major peaks in it in a year where there is a Mother's Day, which is kind of like the way we see it. It's like a black, second Black Friday. And then we have the holiday season. Um, so understanding where, when do we need to push to acquire more so that by the time that the holiday, when the actual um, revenue is happening, uh, we could work on that conversion part. Um, so understanding like what kind of business are you in and what months should you be acquiring or what months should you be focusing on retention? Given that, obviously, again, I'm speaking from uh, being a smaller uh, business and you have limited number of resources, where does your team need to focus on on a quarterly basis? And that's how we look at it. Um, And then there's obviously all the tactics that fall under each channel. Um, Do you do affiliates? Um, Do you have a rewards program? Does it make sense for you to have a rewards program? I don't think our customers really care about how many points they earn by spending X number of dollars. I mean, these are people that, you know, are in the luxury world who are craving more of the the in-person experience rather than let me get additional points so that I could have, you know, $5 credit towards my $1,000 purchase. That means nothing to them. Um, So understanding who your customer is, not just because somebody else is, having you know they have that as a playbook so so do you guys you know kind of shifting over to creative um and and your overall just thoughts on creative strategy do you build persona driven creative or what's the what's the approach because i mean at the end of the day um the products that you sell and the brand that you're building it there is an emotional component to it right there's an emotional component towards making that purchase 
the legacy aspect of it, the heirloom aspect of it. So what's your take on creative and, and delivering, um, you know, kind of creative strategies that, that convert consumers? Uh, as far as who the kin woman is and where, which world she belongs in. I mean, I think that's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing conversation. Even if I thought I, I nailed it, I recently had a conversation where they're like, I don't really, I think she may have shifted a little bit. Um, I think it was really, again, this was just so easy for me because I'm like, kin is me yeah. as in, I mean, not in, not in a selfish way, but she, you know, I have to love every piece that I could live in. Um, and these are the places that I shop. This is the, the coffee place that I would go to. Um, these are the brands that I buy from. Um, and using me as kind of the person when I was taking things off in the very beginning is what resonated with the consumers. Obviously, each piece has its own story. So I think my, our latest um, necklace, um, the Dear Kaya necklace, it, it talks a lot around, you know, my immigration story and, you know, my my name um, being Korean and, you know, people not being able to um, pronounce my name. Um, and now obviously being 30 something year old that I am, I'm, I'm now proud of my heritage and I'm proud to wear my name out loud. So I would, I made that piece, right? So we, we talk about that. Um, and I mean, the, the visuals around it, I mean, that's just, that's the easy part. It's like, what is your foundation? What is that story that your creative team can go capture in, in photo forms or, you know, video forms? Um, but even my creative team, um, as numbers that I am, they do have their own KPIs that are actually performance driven. Yeah. Um, so for example, uh, my head of brand, you know, she, one of, I'll just say as one of her uh, metrics is what is the click through, um, for the emails, because I don't care how pretty it is, or, um, I mean, just, especially when it comes to creative, it's very subjective. Um, I don't care if you think it's the prettiest thing in the world, if it's not, resonating with the consumers and people are not clicking through that email because whether it's the copy or the the visual on um, they're just not resonating so yeah. yeah your kpi metric is going to be is the click through increasing or is it at bench so um that's how i see creative being tied with performance awesome yeah it's it's uh and look i think with the advancements in AI and you know you got Google Pmax and all the different uh, platforms have their own variation of this it's um it's incredible what the right creative assets can do right in terms of your brand when you throw them in to what um you know each platform has and how they can auto optimize in a way it's not a matter of replacing um media buying per se but it's an enhancement towards the conversion action based on the creatives that you're going to put in so um mm -hmm. i think it's, it's really cool that you're you're taking obviously that story and 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 magnifying that and enhancing it and and amplifying it through the creative and then ultimately you know going after your audiences with the core of of who you are and who your brand is that's really cool. yeah who what's the what's the soul is there a soul to that to that story um Kin's yeah, got soul. I love it. <laughs> Kin's got soul. 
Um, I, I think it's interesting that you also talk about AI because, you know, there has been conversations around, you know, is it replacing jobs? Um, I, I think we're just so far. Um, can they write beautiful copy? Sure. Product copy. Um, but that soul that we're talking right. about here, it doesn't get translated. Um, and so AI is, yeah, I, I think you put it really nicely. It's an enhancement um, and it'll only benefit you if you know what that heartbeat is to your brand and your story. Sure. Um, and allow it to kind of, I don't know, elaborate for you. I mean, I'm not the best um, writer in, in the world. I'll be the first to admit that. But I know what kind of feeling I want you to walk away from it. So if I pl- if I can plug in a few keywords here and there and you spit it out in a way that it's elaborative and sophisticated, great. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny because I was I was on a um, I was a guest on a podcast this morning and and we were we were talking about AI and I was asked that same question about hey you know what well, like what's the take on it but the, the truth is to your point it's an enhancement right like it's an enhancement of workflows it's not a replacement of mm-hmm. humans because at the end of the day and you think about a product like yours and a brand like yours and the level of emotional conviction that's required um, and and maybe not even required, but is is great to have for the consumer when they see your products and brand that that's not going to be done by, you know, just an AI prompt that, that spits, an out, uh, spits out an output. You're going to have to have an, an AI pilot behind it that understands the brand and the story that can actually fly the plane towards the direction that you're going. So I think it's really about enhancing. I did, I did come across that. Well, is ChatGPT technical? technically part of AI? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Ish, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I came across, um, I think it's a platform where it actually writes your wedding vows. And oh. I told my husband this and I was like, if you, if you ever do this ever, <laughs> first and foremost, I will know. Um, second of all, that's just so heartless. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had a friend, he mentioned this to me and I, I, I can't mention his name because of what I'm about to say, but he wrote his wife a Mother's Day card um, with, with ChatGPT and she didn't know. Uh, but he, yeah, he, he told it to a bunch of the guys. I'm like, oh man, that's just, I don't know how I feel about that. It's smart, it's smart, but I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not replacing a job, but it may replace a husband. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's, um, it's 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 crazy. It's it's really interesting to see just the convergence of like just what's happening around us, right? Like macroeconomic factors, inflation, AI, pandemic headwind or oriented. I, I guess it's post-pandemic headwinds now, where things are normalizing in terms of growth rates. So, a little bit of the wild wild west. So, just before we close out our recording today, Jenny, I've got one more question for you. What is your advice to e-com founders that are building their businesses, maybe they're you know, eight figures in revenue and they're trying to scale? Um, what's, your, what's your advice to them in terms of how to navigate this next 12-month period that we're in? Oh, that's such a hard question because <laughs> I'm navigating too. <laughs> um, know your numbers know your numbers well um be close to your pnl your cash flow well um because at the end of the day um 
if you don't have that to support you, there's no product, there's no team. Um, and sometimes you do have to make very difficult decisions, right? Where is the fat and where can you trim? Um, but obviously that's, it's, it's a guide for you, right? And you ultimately make that decision, but, you know, and then of course the, the other side is whatever that gut is telling you, you're not wrong. You clearly have started it to be an eight figure at this point. Um, if there is something that's telling you from inside, like listen to that and lean on that, but allow, look for numbers to help support that too, right? You always get a gut feeling and you think about, well, what are some of the numbers that can get, you know, that you could spit out to help support that? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's a, I think a great point and a great reminder of at the end of the day, like when you're running your business, the numbers and the KPIs, they're crucial towards what's next and being able to scale and make those future decisions. So yeah. appreciate the time, Jenny, and, and really appreciate you joining us for the recording today. To all of our, all of our listeners, uh, Jenny Yoon, kinstudio.com, check them out and stay tuned for the next episode of Hypergrowth. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right.